Citizens Entertainment, the podcast that has dedicated itself to the discussion and review of public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me is the woman whom I'm pretty sure is who she says she is. It's Lydia. Insert early screen here. <laughs> that's, that's my contribution for tonight, but I can't actually like scream like a girl. I mean, I guess by definition, I scream like a girl, but <laughs> I like that. Ah, I was going to say, I, I don't know that you can help. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think not I only screaming. have one option there, but not yeah. like not like we're going to see in Black Dragons. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, before we go any further, I want to first thank everyone for tuning in to this month's episode. Orphaned Entertainment is available wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you choose to listen. If you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. Another great way to help is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. You can follow the link in the show notes to all our social media sites, as well as our YouTube channel, and you can learn how you can support the show financially. If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. Let's listen to an Ellery Queen one-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we will attempt to uncover the mystery of 1942's Black Dragons. Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. This is Ellery Queen with a case I call The Wrong Word. A rich industrialist named Wade paid a genealogist a huge sum of money to trace his family history and invited me to inspect the results. According to the genealogist, Wade was the descendant of an English earl. The genealogist showed a letter which included the quote, Due to kaleidoscopic events taking place in the colonies, I intend to leave England and join the forces of Washington and Liberty. The letter was dated 1777. I told Wade his family historian was a quack. In a moment, I'll tell you why. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic monsters, modern talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, monster Kid Radio! In the case of the wrong word, the expression kaleidoscopic events was used. The letter was dated 1777. It so happened that the kaleidoscope was not invented until 1817, so the letter and the genealogist were fake. Listen again to Ellery Queen's Minute Mysteries. Black Dragons is an American mystery drama directed by William Nye, and it stars Bella Lugosi, Joan Barkley, and Clayton Moore. It was rushed into production in January of 1942 and released in March of that same year. It is one of the earliest films to be a direct response to the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor. In the film, a group of wealthy men, all fifth columnists, are doing their best in their prospective fields of industry and banking to sabotage the American war effort. 
During a meeting at the Washington, D.C. home of Dr. Bill Saunders, a mysterious visitor, Dr. Colomb, stops by and insists that he speak with Saunders alone. Once separated from the others, Colomb injects Saunders with something that dazes him and makes him subservient to Colomb's will. The group disperses and set off to return to their cities and businesses. Soon thereafter, one of the men is discovered murdered and placed on the shuttered Japanese embassy steps. It isn't long before more of the men go missing and then turn up murdered. FBI agent Dick Martin is assigned to the case, and he begins to investigate Saunders, who's become a shut-in in his bedroom, and Cologne. All while doing his best to protect Alice, the niece of Dr. Saunders, from the mysterious goings-on and in and around the Saunders home. Director William Nye entered films in 1911 as an actor. He soon began directing some comedy shorts. He continued to work as an actor and director for many studios, but it was uh, 1918's film My Four Years in Germany that was a major hit for a then-fledgling studio called Warner Brothers. This blockbuster allowed the studio to become a major player in young Hollywood. By the 1930s, he was under contract to MGM. He worked with some of the biggest stars of the time, including Lon Chaney and Joan Crawford. After that, he spent the majority of his career cranking out solid films for several Poverty Row studios, including Monogram's Mr. Wong series of films starring Boris Karloff. Now, we've talked about Hungarian-born Bela Lugosi once or twice before, but it's worth mentioning that at this time in his career and life, he was suffering from severe arthritis and chronic sciatica, and had become heavily dependent on opiates to ease the pain. Uh, Joan Barkley, I believe, is new to Orphan Entertainment. She began her career at the age of 12 in the 1927 film The Gaucho with Douglas Fairbanks. This would be her only silent film, and she appeared largely uncredited in a bunch of films from 1930 to 1935. She finally found a better life appearing in B-movie westerns. Uh, Beginning in 1936, she started alongside some of the best-known leading cowboy film stars, including Tom Tyler, Bob Steele, and Tom Keene. She would appear in over 35 films between 36 and 39, mostly westerns and serials. She worked steadily through 1945, making another 34 films. However, once again, many of the roles were uncredited bit parts. In 1945, she starred in a Charlie Chan mystery, The Shanghai Cobra, which would be her final film role. She married and retired from acting soon after. Mr. Clayton Moore was a, sex, was a successful model working for a New York modeling company before he moved to Hollywood in the late 30s, where he worked as a stuntman and bit player in, in between modeling jobs. He was cast in the occasional B-picture westerns and was the lead in four Republic Studio serials and two films for Columbia. In 1949, he appeared on the serial Ghost of Zorro, which drew the attention of George W. Trendle, co-creator and producer of the radio series The Lone Ranger. Uh, The Lone Ranger, of course, is a story of a mysterious masked Texas ranger who travels the countryside along with his faithful friend, Native American Tonto, righting wrongs and undoing the evils of wrongdoers. Trendle wanted to bring the show to television and picked Moore to appear as the titular character. Moore, along with co-star Jay Silverheels, made history as the stars of the first Western written exclusively for television. And we all know the name. Absolutely. I didn't didn't know that The Lone Ranger was the first uh, Western exclusively for TV. That's very cool. I did. That's neat. Yeah, absolutely. 
Clayton Moore was mysteriously replaced in the third series, third season of the show by John Hart, and just as mysteriously returned for the fourth and fifth, fifth seasons. In all, he appeared in 169 of the 221 episodes produced. Moore would make guest appearances as the Lone Ranger in other series during the show's run, like The Range Rider and The Adventures of Kit Carson. And after the series ended, he and Silverheels starred in two feature-length Lone Ranger movies. After the second film, Moore began 40 years of personal appearances as the Lone Ranger. TV guest spots, commercials, and even appearing at at a chain of short-lived Lone Ranger-themed restaurants. Wow. In 1979, Jack Rather, who owned, who recently purchased the Lone Ranger character, uh, obtained a court order to prohibit Moore from appearing as the character. Rather was in the process of making a new film version, and he feared Moore's appearances would undercut the value of the character and the film. Wow. Moore actually countersued, and slightly altered the costume, replacing the famous domino mask with a pair of wraparound Foster Grant sunglasses. <laughs> He'd also participate in the Who's That Behind Those Foster Grants ad campaign. <laughs> the 1981 movie The Legend of the Lone Ranger was a gigantic flop. It was panned by critics and only, learned about, only earned about $12 million at the box office, just falling shy of its budget. Many attribute the poor box office return to fans who felt Rathers was attacking the Lone Ranger. Mm -hmm. The court case continued for several years until when 1984 Rather suddenly dropped the lawsuit, once again permitting Moore to appear as a Lone Ranger, mask firmly in place. Rather died of cancer two months after dropping the suit. Clayton Moore was often quoted as saying that he had fallen in love with the Lone Ranger character and strove in his personal life to take to heart the Lone Ranger creed, which reads in part, I believe that to have a friend, a man must be one, that all men are created equal and that everyone has within himself the power to make this a better world. Between that and the lawsuit, Moore and the Lone Ranger character became inseparable. Clayton Moore's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is the only star to have his character name along with his actual name. Wow. The star reads, Clayton Moore, The Lone Ranger. Oh, my gosh. I got chills. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's so funny. I was doing the research and writing these notes and everything, and after I'm done, all I'm thinking is like, I really want to go and watch some Lone Ranger. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was just thinking that too. Now, knowing all of that, that's really neat. I remember back in the uh, early 80s, I actually remember um, the lawsuit stuff going on. I remember because I remember Clayton Moore appearing on talk shows or wow. news things and everything, and him just wearing the sunglasses instead of the masks and mm -hmm. It was kind of interesting getting more of the factoids behind it as to why it was happening and what was going on, but you know, behind everything. It is. It's really interesting. Uh, there, we, <laughs> this is kind of random, but I had always thought that the Lone Ranger wore white, and like anybody that makes a film knows, like white is incredibly hard to film, right? It just it just basically blows out, and so he actually wore blue, mm -hmm. but on the screen it still looked like white. And so for years, I thought he was dressed all in white with a black domino mask and a white hat on a white horse until I guess at some point people started noticing that it was actually blue. <laughs> but it's well, it was the, um, they, I think they said the fourth season of the series, 
was filmed in color, mm-hmm. and then the two feature films were in color, and uh, and then of course I saw Clayton Moore not in person, unfortunately, but I saw a video of him making his uh, personal appearances in the light blue mm-hmm. uh, outfit, and then his hat wasn't even uh, white; it was like a, a real light. <laughs> It was like a real light gray or something like well, that. Well, gray. So, let's let's be really honest here. Um, I think the point that I realized that it was blue was when Army Hammer was the Lone Ranger. Oh. <laughs> Hi, Army. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I think genuinely that was, and I, I think when they were making the movie, I was so offended. I was like, no, the Lone Ranger's supposed to wear white, and like there was a whole conversation around. No, he's always worn blue, and then eventually it made sense to me. I thought. Oh, Oh, okay. So yeah, no, that does make sense, especially if you're filming and then it becomes into color and he's going to keep the same outfit. But it's just so interesting. I had always, always pictured the Lone Ranger, the quintessential TV cowboy is always the good guy dressed in white. So kind of a little, a little trivia there about me not knowing what the heck is going on in the world. (laughs) But I still, in my head, I still imagine the Lone Ranger. I always have always thought of him as wearing white and I still do. But we're not here to talk about the Lone Ranger, unfortunately. <laughs> no. <laughs> we are here to talk about Black Dragons from 1942. Because <laughs> I love your tone just then. Because <laughs> that is how I felt the first time I watched this movie. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was expecting uh, going into it. I think most of the little uh, blurbs you see when you, get a, when you look for the film and the synopsis, you get this blurb about... Oh, a, a doctor is assigned to go to Japan, and okay. I mean, it happens, but you don't see it happen until the last five minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, everything takes place after he did this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we see yes. it in a flashback. So going into this film, you really have no idea what you're sitting down for. I, <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually telling the truth here. About 27 minutes into the movie, which is about halfway into the movie, for those of you who haven't watched it yet, I was sitting there thinking, man, we're halfway into this movie and and Charlie Chan has not showed up yet. When is he going to show up? <laughs> I, I, I know. I, obviously, I watched the right movie, but I had it in my head that we were going to do a Charlie Chan movie and that fell through. But I went into this movie watching, expecting Charlie Chan to show up. And I, at first, I kind of was, it, you know, it starts off and it's, ta- and it's this conversation at what's, a, a, you know, it's not really a dinner party. I'm not quite sure what you call. It's a gentleman's dinner is what it is. And they have some uh, fancy ladies there keeping him company. And, uh, and, and it, the, the dialogue is so on the nose that it felt... I say, Reynolds, what's this I hear about the Army being interested in this project you're lobbying for? Well, it's not for publication, but they're planning to build an ammunition dump near the dam. I thought they were spending all that money just to help out a handful of farmers. (laughs) (laughs) And when I mentioned to the committee that more than 50,000 troops were stationed within a mile of the depot, they immediately increased the appropriation by a half a million dollars. 50,000 troops. 50,000 troops. But don't forget, Mr. Hammond, all of our shipyards are not located on the coast. I don't think I understand. Well, no, believe it or not, we have four shipways on the lakes. They're turning out an average of a ship a month. That explains a lot of things. 
With your influence in Washington, why don't you get a bill passed to increase the old age pension for Glamour Girls? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, now listen here, girlie. We're not following this precarious occupation for uh, love. What our friend is trying to say is that you want to organize, start a revolving fund, and you'll be able to speak the language that he understands, right? <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it, it is an ideal location for an air base. The enemy could never spot it in the air, and it's out of the range of the naval gun. Perfect. Coffee is served for now. Oh, coffee. Come on. The first, the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, it didn't feel painful. All right, well, good. Yeah, it's the kind of dialogue where you watch a movie and someone turns on the radio just in time to hear the news flash. Yes, exactly. So it felt it felt very, very clunky. And until you know the whole story, many parts of this movie felt very, like, poorly written and disjointed. And it it's interesting because I don't want... Obviously, we try really hard not to give anything away, but this is a movie that I actually recommend that you watch twice. Because the first time I watched it, pretty much all of it, I thought, this is just not a very good movie. And then it got to the end, and there are some issues with this movie. That doesn't change. But it got to the end, and then I watched it for my second watch, and knowing what I knew then, I thought, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's who that person is. Oh, that makes sense that they're talking about. Oh, they're building this case. Okay, now it makes sense. And all of that to say, if you haven't watched this movie yet, you're going to be going, what is she talking about? Because <laughs> that's how it feels watching the movie at the beginning, too. It's like you just walked into this conversation, and it just it feels like it's trying so hard to get you really interested in what's going on in American politics. And, and you're sitting in a movie going, I'm in a movie. Why are you, why are you beating me over the head with this? I like very clunky dialogue. Very, very clunky forced dialogue. There is a bit, yes. Yes, but they're setting a stage for something that you don't really realize they're setting a stage for. And knowing that coming in, I think it makes sense from the writer's perspective. The writer was going, oh, we need to get all this information in up front. But there's no ability, you don't have the ability to connect with anybody in the first five, ten minutes of the film, and so it feels very forced and very awkward. Right. Uh, it's really interesting. I think we see this type of storytelling a little bit more today, where you see all these events that don't you that don't really quite add up when you first see them until the end of the film, where it's like, well, this is why, oh, oh, and you go back This and is think, the man behind it, the mask, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's it, kind of neat seeing it in 1942 because like i said i think you see that a little bit more often today mm -hmm. um so yeah you you go through a lot of this film not quite sure what is going on and then they show you the 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 flashback and then it all the little puzzle pieces finally start fitting into place mm -hmm. a little bit but not until you go back and watch it because you don't realize who you're seeing at the beginning mm. like literally they don't tell you who you're watching at the beginning of the movie until the end of the movie and then at True. the end of the movie, you see who it is. And then if you go back and watch the beginning of the movie, you go, oh, that's who that is. Oh, that's who that is. Oh, this actually makes this conversation interesting. But because I had no platform, no, no foundation for this conversation, yeah, oh, man, I could just talk in circles about this over and over. Yeah, well, <laughs> if they had 
given the game away early in the film, oh, I think you would have been bored. Horribly yeah. boring. But I'm, I'm thinking how to phrase this. It doesn't really excuse what they did. Yes, they were trying so hard to keep from giving away the punchline at the beginning of the movie that they actually made it kind of hard to watch. Because, you, like you said, you, you couldn't connect. So these people were getting murdered. Do I care? Am I supposed to care? I, I, I feel like they, I, should, I should care about them. But wait, weren't they talking like they were the bad guys? So, yeah. so is this a good guy? But if he's a good guy, why is he acting so evil? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very confusing. And and at the point that you finally meet the doctor... Dr. Sanders? That's right. I'm not in the habit of receiving patients in my home, especially at night. I have come a long way to see you. Plenty of other good doctors. I'm a very sick man. Sit down, please. don't appear to be in any danger of dying. You are quite wrong. All men are in danger of dying. The important question is when. Just why did you come here? I was sure you would remember me. Voice seems familiar. But I'm positive I've never seen your face before. You dared you are but half, right? You did see me before. I've changed since then. Just as you have. Nelson! Hey, doctor! No, no, please! Please, I don't deserve it! Bella Lugosi's character comes in, and when he realizes who Bella... And, and there's, there's an interesting little bit here where he says, I've never seen your face before, and he says, that's right. And then he says, but I know the voice. And... You get the idea, I mean, it, as us especially today, you, you know what plastic surgery is. You get the idea that, oh, maybe this guy's had his face changed. And so, but then, but then it seems so strange because he, the doctor, like, says, no, no, I don't deserve it. And, like, yells. And then they come in the room and he's just, like, sitting there chill. <laughs> and there's some really confusing pseudo-action. Well... It happens quick. It happens quick, but Bela Lugosi's character, Monsieur Colomb, when the guy realizes who he is, he's actually injecting him something. I get that. The but arm. then why is he so calm after he's been injected with something? Apparently, that's what whatever that it something is does to a person. <laughs> we see it apparently happen again to one of the other men. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. They go to visit him at his hotel mm-hmm. and he's on the phone and. Yeah, come up to my room. Yeah, but it, uh, yeah, you know, there's this that suspension of disbelief thing, where it there they either explained it too little or they tried to do too much, and it, it's painful when they say, "Do you know what the serum is? This will make you do blah 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 blah." But at least then you know what's going on in the movie. In this case, it was just I'm gonna poke you with something, and then you're gonna go from screaming to being like totally chill with everything. But it's not like a chill like we know. Like it was almost zombie-like. Yeah. It, yes. And but yeah, I still feel like I mean, if you haven't seen True Lies, go watch it right this second. Turn this off and go watch it right this second. <laughs> 
But there's, you know, the scene there. Where he... I want you to connect black dragons to true lies. Please continue. When they inject Arnold's character with the truth serum, and they sit there and they're, you know, his, it doesn't change his entire personality. He still says, "I'm, I'm gonna, you know, break your neck, and then I'm gonna, you know, turn, you know, use that guy as a human shield." He still is behaving in a way that is true to his character. He doesn't just suddenly go, you know what? Now I'm going to trade sides and I'll just, you know what? That's cool. Give me a gun. I'll go kill some good guys for you. And that's where I struggle with this one. He, the injection doesn't make him just pliable. It makes him like agreeable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so there, there are just a few things in this movie that really, really don't connect for me. And this is one of them. And the guy becomes just totally agreeable. He's just totally fine with everything happening to him. And he's like willingly accomplicing Bella Lugosi's character. Yeah. There's a lot around Lugosi's character that doesn't really... It's like they really didn't know what this character was until the very end. Mm. Because they, they do... It's Lugosi, so they got to do the camera close you know, up close on, up the on eyes. his eyes. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, oh, is he is he is he hypnotizing him? Is it yeah. some sort of mystic thing or something? No, and then just showing you know, up any suspension. <laughs> the wheels on my suspension of disbelief kind of <laughs> fell off when with the two uh, taxi cab trips with Lugosi's yes. character, where he mysteriously disappears well, it's from the back of the cab. It's because he's Dracula. He can turn into a bat. <laughs> but no, you're exactly and, right. And carry a full-grown man <laughs> And carry a full-grown man. It, as the cab is driving. Yes, exactly. Yes. And the cab driver just doesn't notice. Was the cab driver hypnotized? Was he injected? That at least would make some sense, but we don't know. We don't know. We're just flailing our arms and guessing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah, it didn't make sense. There, were, there were a few things too in it that I think with with that, like you kind of get the idea that it's Bella Lugosi, and so they're just making him as like creepy and and evil as they can, even more than they needed to. There is, and then and then we meet Alice, and uh, what is he called? An FBI agent, Dick. Uh, yeah. Dick goes to the the house, and Alice has just shown up. She hasn't seen her uncle in years and years and she's just content to have a conversation with him outside of his door now they do some things when you meet alice the first time you watch it you're going this is just bad direction why is this Hmm. why is this woman like why did they do that shot why is this woman looking like this like it, it just is there's so much that happens the first time you watch it you're like this character is not believable there's something weird about this character and I don't want to spoil anything, but it yeah. improves in the it's... second watching. In the second mm-hmm. watching, it makes more sense. In the first watching, it feels just like a poor writing and poor direction. This movie is either horribly directed or masterfully directed. Depending on if you're the writer <laughs> and you know the punchline. If you know yes. the punchline, it's there's some really good direction in it. But when you don't know the punchline, they left big gaps that make it feel like you're watching a very poorly made movie, which is frustrating because going back and watching it again and seeing the beats that they're hitting and the expressions that they're picking up on and the little bits here and there, uh, when there's a point where Alice says something to Dick and they see see Bella going into the other room, you get the close-up of the eyes, and then he says... 
And I'd hate to meet him in the dark alley. Oh, I don't know. Make it a moonlight night in the park bench. It might be exciting. Oh, yeah? And he lets go, or he like takes her hand off his arm, and then he like looks at her, and then he like puts her hand hand back on his arm, and he's like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> like there, there's some cute little. It's not very over the top. It's not very noticeable, but there's some cute little back and forth there. That again, you just haven't had time to connect with any of these characters. You don't mm -hmm. really know who the main character is. No, it. Is there a main character? Because everyone kind of comes on screen. I mean, you think Dick Martin, who is the, the, the agent that's assigned to crack this case, and he shows up for a few scenes for maybe five, six minutes at a time, and then disappears, mm -hmm. and we follow Lugosi around a little bit more, or we, we go and visit some of the uh, the industrialists, and they have their conversations, and then Dick Martin makes his appearance again for a few minutes, and then he just disappears mm -hmm. again. And then Alice is in and out, and screaming right. somebody gets in her room she screams she, <laughs> she had a good body. scream she, she had a hell of a scream yeah somebody comes down the stairs she screams there's a lot of screaming she she genuinely the first time i watched it i thought the whole point of this woman being here is just so that they have somebody to scream and for the main guy to, to flirt with except is he the main guy i don't know he comes and he goes so yeah i i don't know if there really is a a star per se Bella <laughs> <laughs> top building yeah. everywhere <laughs> yeah, that is true. He was the top build in this, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So yeah, there's, huh, there, there's, it is definitely set up as a wartime, <clears throat> heavily propagandized film noir mystery. It is. I, I'm kind of jumping ahead. I'm almost to like wrapping this whole thing up. But it's, I think at some point, and we can wait to do this, but we have to talk at some point about how effective this probably was. Because I think there's some strategies that they tried to use to, uh, let's say, justify certain things that were going on at the time that probably they didn't justify well with the tactic that they took. Okay, got There's you. something about using James Bond-level tactics. <laughs> James Bond-level <laughs> bad guy tactics that you yeah. explain at the very end of the movie that nobody's going to believe could ever happen and using that as a tool for propaganda. Now, emotions were high. <laughs> mm -hmm. Justifiably so. But I'm... Uh, I'm interested to hear other people's opinions on whether having the punchline of this movie it is a punchline i'm not sure there's another term for it i'm sure but you know the big reveal whether that is would have been i suppose <laughs> this, could, this could spiral so badly into political conversation <laughs> I'm, I'm trying really hard not to right um there there yeah there's uh in and even on top of that, is Bella Lugosi the bad guy? Is he the good guy? He's well. We know. We know at the end of the movie that he's certainly somebody that uh, should be considered a bad guy, based on his affiliations. But uh, but then he's doing something that actually is 
helping the good guys, right? <laughs> yeah, is this is this an anti-hero sort wow. of thing? I mean, if this were pre-code, would he would he have gotten away oh, with it? Oh, that's a great question. Well, and gosh, if he were pre-code and he didn't have the explanation that is provided for his character in the last five minutes, which will ha- was at the time and will forever continue to be completely not okay, forever mm-hmm. and ever, forever and ever and ever. But um, yeah, if he, it, that's a really good question. If this were pre-code, would he have been? I think if this were pre-code, they probably. Mm, yeah, the, man, the the motives in this movie are tough. Because mm-hmm. here you, have, and I'm, you know, I'm walking a fine line here. I don't want to explain everything that happens. I think there's... Which is really difficult. This is a type of film... I, I didn't realize how difficult this film would be to talk about yeah. without completely giving everything... I mean, literally everything Literally everything. Away. Away. So does it make sense? We're about, what, almost 30 minutes in here. Does it make sense to say, okay, guys, you're at the halfway mark. If you haven't watched this movie yet, then go ahead and put us on pause. And then let's talk about this, like, a little more bluntly. Because I think yes. it bears talking about with some disclosure. And and we may, and I think unless we're able to do that, it's going to be extremely hard to put an ultra rating on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so shall we go ahead and do that? Yes, yes, please. Pause, uh, go away, watch the film, uh, maybe twice. <laughs> it's only twice. an hour long. <laughs> so it's only a little over an hour long, 64 minute runtime. And then come back and uh, push play and finish hearing our our discussion. Okay. Okay. There we so go. So let's start chronologically. Once upon a time, there was an evil Nazi doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he decided to go to Japan and help. Bum, bum, <laughs> Keep going. I'm and help. Give me some theme an music. Evil Japanese ruler, presumably, uh, disguised five of his best. Uh, what do you call them? Agents. His best agents as full-on, Caucasian, American, powerful people. They they got their death masks from the guys, which who presumably they kidnapped and murdered, I'm guessing, but it's not ex- explained. They get these death masks, and they make the face, and they have photos of them, and they get the faces to look just like these guys. This procedure, <laughs> we've seen face-off, right? <laughs> How long with the recoveries of these multiple bone restructuring, tissue reshaping, not to mention hair color, because I'm guessing not every one of these dudes had, you know, genetically dark hair. Um, I'm s- or gray. Or gray or... hair or blonde hair, whatever the color is that it's supposed to be. Are they coloring their hair? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody... Like, somebody that knew these people would notice it wasn't them. I'm guessing maybe they tried to get people that had the right heights. Okay, we'll go with it. Let's just say they actually managed to make these people look and sound 100% American. Like, beyond American, right? To the point that they say Nazis. Not Nazis. Nazis. (laughs) Okay. (sighs) But they did because magic... James Bond science. Okay. Yep. And as once this is all done and they owe this Nazi doctor this great, great gratitude, they then take him and put him in a prison cell with somebody that looks like Bella Lugosi. Mm-hmm. Who is going to get out eventually. 
why we don't know, why the guy's there we don't know, who the guy is we don't know. We know nothing except he looks like Bella Lugosi, because he is, right? Well, and then the doctor takes out his tools, and I guess in a prison cell with nobody noticing over a course of multiple weeks, trades faces with this guy. Okay, yeah. again, James Bond magic science. Okay, okay, got it, cool. Okay, now we get to the meat of it. Now the Japanese agents have gotten to America. They are successfully fulfilling their roles. They're schmoozing with congressmen. They're talking to military higher-ups. They are finding out where all of the secret stuff is, and they are doing it successfully, and they are going to just blow all of this out of the water. And then they start getting killed by somebody that looks like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> Should I even keep going at this point? <laughs> so, but not only do they start getting killed, they go to a dinner party at some rando doctor's house. I guess. I don't really get what the connection is with the doctor, but they do. He, he was one of them. I, uh, but he wasn't. Was he one of them? Because I thought there were five of them and the doctor. And this is part of the core oh, of the problem right. with this movie, right? I assumed the doctor was... Uh had been no the doctor had been replaced because they they mentioned later that the doctor disappeared 10 years ago off some uh, orient uh boat Perfect. boat in the okay, orient so this ha this is from even before presumably he was their original test case cool Maybe. that makes so much more sense then thank you christopher for explaining this plot that doesn't explain itself <laughs> so so bella lugosi is excuse the graphic nature of this expression but he's using this doctor as a hand puppet <laughs> It's the only analogy I can come up with because any time that somebody goes to talk to the doctor through the door, Bella Lugosi is there with his hand on the guy's arm, I guess making him answer the way he wants. I genuinely was struggling so much to understand why Bella Lugosi is standing there with his arm on this guy whose head is down. It, mm. okay. Yeah. Hand puppet. Okay. So, but nobody seems to find this strange that there's this completely unknown man hanging out in this house. Nobody seems to find this strange that this doctor won't come out even to talk to his niece. I, only, only Agent Dick does. Only him. And, <laughs> and through all of this, Alice is seeing all of this strange stuff happening. Somebody sneaks into her room. She screams. She can't see her uncle. She goes into the cellar and trips on a dead body. She screams. And then Dick says, Alice, I'm going to take you away from here. It's too dangerous. And she says, quote, I'm not frightened. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the context of understanding who Alice is, spoiler alert, Alice is also an agent. Okay. But unbeknownst to Dick unbeknownst Martin. Unbeknownst to Dick Martin. Okay. That I, you know what? I get that then. Her saying, I'm not afraid. I'm going to stay here. Perfect sense. But in the context of watching it the first time, this woman is a psychopath. <laughs> it makes no sense that she would say that. My, my favorite moment with her in her refusal to leave the house was, uh, again, thinking about it as, as a first watch because you don't know that she's an agent. She's like, oh, I think as long as Monsieur Colomb is here, I'm fine. And Dick Meyer's like, fine, whatever, I'm out. And he, and he leaves. 
And then Cologne turns around and like, well, good luck. I'm off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's time for him to leave. <laughs> uh, there's so much. There's so much that, uh, you know, it, the, in the, the direction is interesting. When you first meet Alice, she she's kind of looking around the house and you read it as she's like, oh, it's Michael's house. I haven't been here in a long time. But then on the second watch, you're reading it as, okay, I have to get my bearings. I don't really know where anything is. She goes up to talk to her uncle. She calls out to him in the hall and waits until he answers to identify the door he's behind. And it makes, it's like you said, it's brilliant direction Mm -hmm. if you know what's going on. If you know the story, yes. But if you don't know the story, it's just weird. It's just plain weird. So, uh, yeah, obviously the good guys win. You know, well, sort of, because all of the the, the Japanese agents get murdered by Bela Lugosi, who I guess dies at the end, too. He gets shot. Yeah, that's a, and then he, it's a very strange one. The last guy that he's killing manages to get a shot yeah. off, which hits Lugosi. And then Lugosi spends the next five minutes being <laughs> apparently fine. Until it's like, well, come on, let's let's drag you to jail. Oh, I'm dying. And he collapses. It reminds me of the chief detective where he says, Marcel, where did they hit you? And he says, I don't know. It's been so long, I can't remember. <laughs> and it's, it's been 13 years. The guy's been bleeding out for 13 years. And, and here's Bella, five minutes later, walking around. And when the guy says something... He, oh, he reveals he's had something horrible done to his face, the uncle has, and Bella Lugosi laughs uproariously and then just falls over dead. <laughs> this movie is, I, I, like, if it were a little better, I would love it. There are things, <laughs> like, if it were a little kitschier, it needs to be just a little more psycho, and it would be so great. But it just, it just... Mm. It's a shame. I think... If it weren't for these real odd goofs, you know, with uh, Lugosi being apparently magical and being able to disappear out of taxi cabs, yeah. with, with Lugosi getting shot and then being fine <laughs> and then and dying. Then dying. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and little clunky bits like that, like or like I mentioned earlier, yeah, I'm fine as long as you're here. I'm fine as long as this guy's here. Well, I got to go. And she doesn't like. Well, wait a minute. Maybe I should. Yeah. Or, he doesn't, or stay. Like, don't he, go. Yeah. Or or why he's in the room and why Dick Martin is right there and he Dick Martin tells her I, I don't think you're safe here. She's like, well, I think as long as Cologne's here, I'm fine. Why doesn't Cologne then go? Well, you know, I'm going to be leaving soon. While Dick's in the room. <laughs> uh, I guess I guess he doesn't want Alice to be safe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, I, that, is, that should be the tagline for this movie. Black dragons. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's... And there, there's a couple of times where you almost feel like um, Cologne is trying to actually protect Alice a little bit. Or Mac on her. I can't tell which. Oh, what's the matter with you? There was a horrible something in my room. Why, Jude, it wasn't a nightmare. Well, it most certainly wasn't. There was no one in your room, miss. I couldn't find a trace. Shall I look outside? Yes, please do. No one. You see? You think my eyes are playing tricks on me? When a young woman's nerves commence to give way, it is time she sought refuge in a strong man's arms. I just ran into yours. 
mine might be dangerous. You're a strange man. I've been trying to make you out. Why try? Curiosity killed a cat. Oh. Don't misunderstand. I'm not worth bothering your pretty head about. What if I think differently? Then I would say that you're a silly young creature. Yeah, and, and early on when they very first meet, she sees him in the hall and she's like, oh, you know, it's a pleasure to meet you. And he's like, yes, you're a very lovely woman. And she's like, <laughs> it's like, it's totally fine until he says you're a lovely young woman. And then she's like, like, she's like, I had to go now. And like power walks over to the mirror. And then it's the weirdest thing because it's, he doesn't say it like, yeah, you know, he's not leering at her and like laughing behind a cape or anything like that. It's. Oh, it's so strange. And it, I don't know if, I don't understand if they're trying to, like, get some kind of attention going between uh, him and Dick and her, and maybe, like, oh, is there going to be a love triangle? But it's like, this movie, this movie just looks at you in the face and goes, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, no. <laughs> would, would this film have worked a little bit better if you didn't have the the Lugosi's character, if you didn't have the character of Monsieur Colomb, and you just had the uh, the five or six, however many there are, Japanese agents, and maybe one of them have switched sides, yeah. changed allegiances, and he was the one that was secretly going and, and murdering his colleagues, oh, and we be... didn't find, and we don't find out about that until the end. Yeah, sort of, almost, uh, and then there were none kind of thing. That would be amazing. I think that would be a really good story. Of course, they couldn't do it, right? They couldn't have mm. a Japanese. Uh, I, I, I mean this in the context of the time, right? That they right. felt they couldn't have a Japanese person be a good a good guy, which is mm -hmm. that's what makes this propaganda. Straight up, that's what makes this propaganda, is that nobody that is on, nobody that has ever been a part of any nefarious or even just opposing group could possibly be a good guy. Um, and I think that would have made it an excellent story. Or, uh, oh gosh, or if, oh, how about this one for you? If Alice had found out that her uncle had actually been killed or replaced and she decided she was going to get him. Oh, that'd be a good story. I could see it. You could actually make it work if the butler did it. You could, but I do appreciate the line that he says, this is the one time that I won't believe the butler did it. <laughs> they, they, like, sneak that in there, and I thought, you know what? Well done, you. That's good. I appreciate that. <laughs> but you could have definitely written into the story where he overhears something, and he, he discovers what's going on. Or he was the third agent. If all three of them were secret agents and didn't know each other were, and the butler was too, and he was killing them off. Or maybe a rogue Yeah, agent. that's true, because he was supposedly fairly new to the house. Or a British agent. Of course, then, you know, yeah. the Brits would have to be the good guys, and the Americans want to be the good guys, so, eh, oh, politics yeah, again. Yeah, no. yeah, the, the Americans were the heroes of World War II. We I mean, yes, that. of course, nobody else contributed at all, like, mm -hmm. by, like, literally holding off the Nazis for, like, years and years and years before the, okay, not knocking anybody. Just, you know, everybody contributed. <laughs> Good job, team. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, seriously, it's so easy to get political talking about that. And, and it should be. It is a political movie. It, it, it's political in the, in the, uh, in the era of, of the early 1940s. That's where I live. 
That's my, my brain just <laughs> No, it, it, you're exactly right. And, you know, and of course, it, history makes it more complicated to talk about things like this being, gosh, 80 years on and, have, and trying to have a conversation about something that now we have so much more information about, you know, so much more about all the things that were happening at the time. It makes it really difficult to have, you know, just a an objective conversation or an, a, a conversation about it in the, the mindset of the time, which it should be. We should continue growing and learning. Sure. But it, it's... Um, and some of the clunkiness, too, may have been because of the rush production. Oh, definitely. The end, I, you know, and I love the end, the very, very end, the last scene. You have a little bit of violin. You have Alice clinging to Dick because she's the screamer and she's got to cling to the strong man. And at the very end... It's like, oh, all the bad guys are dead, and now there's the American flag. Yeah! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a kiss from the guy and girl because it's wartime, people. This is war. Right, we right. don't kiss right now. This is only about being a patriot. That's right. It's so in your face. I'm a... I'm amazed that the end of this film wasn't uh, Dick Martin heading off to the recruitment office. Oh my office gosh! Or well, I'm gonna go sign up. Oh no, Ashley! Mm-hmm. Ashley, I love you. <laughs> Don't go, Ashley. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It seems like it. Or somebody should have clapped him on the shoulder and said, "You've done a good job for the war effort, boy." Even though he did nothing, literally nothing. No. <laughs> yeah, he honestly didn't. This all unraveled around him. He's just there. He was completely yeah he and alice both are just there i mean because the bloody lone ranger and he's completely <laughs> ineffectual <laughs> what's wrong with your range <laughs> oh that's really really funny but no, i didn't even think about that but yeah it's actually their their superiors that come in and kind of bust the ring it's so oh it's such a it's such a mess <laughs> it's just such a mess we were talking about the uh, politics of the time and how that shaped this film. There is one line I, I have to think you caught it. It is so cringy and uncomfortable because it's an, a line that could only exist in this era. Dick Martin barges into the house and he says to Alice, Alice, will you marry me? What for? So I can beat you up. The only way I can get out of here. <laughs> She says why, and he says, so I can beat you up. And then he says, it's the only way I'm going to get you out of the house. I firmly believe there is a missing clip there. I really genuinely believe that there's something he was like, her saying what? And him saying, no, I'm just trying to get you out of the house. If not. No, no, I think it's because of the 1940s. I think legally you could just smack your wife around if she wasn't paying. You couldn't use a stick that was bigger around than your thumb. So, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, yes, I, I, but I, I, like I said, I genuinely believed because there is a little bit of like a hiccup there in the film. And so I believed that there was something missing, something lost to the, you know, the capture of this movie that... <laughs> And it sounds like you're convinced that's, being that's not really generous. I, just, I think because I there is some jerkiness to it and there's some strangeness to it. I thought that, but yeah, no, it was absolutely. And then you know, um, there are I think a couple of times uh, somebody says something about worrying, and another guy says, "I don't have time for female emotions." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, 
Oh god, it's a it's a miracle we're as far as we are sometimes. Like genuinely, wow. What men? We can't have emotions. We're in the forties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely some problems with this movie. It's definitely a product of its time. It's a product of what was going on in the world at, at the time that it was made. Very clearly, I mean blatantly, it was made for a specific reason. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's. Almost, I think it's. You could almost say that it is a fatality of the war, because <laughs> there's potential for an interesting story in here. There's some yeah. great James Bond science magic going on. This would have made a really good Cold War era oh, film. Yes, much better Cold War era. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you could say it was ahead of its time in the War Department. <laughs> yeah, but that would have. It, that would that would fit in very well with how you're describing yeah. it as you know James Bond era yeah. uh, plot and and plot elements. Yeah, it, and it, yeah, there's some interesting stuff to it. It's <clears throat> it just feels like there just were big steps missed. And I think I think you're exactly right. I think I, what I suspect is that somebody had a good idea for a story and they were looking for things to adapt to make them part of the war effort and the anti-Japanese message. And they said, hey, well, you know what? This is a really interesting story. Well, instead of having it just be spies, let's now make it Japanese people. Um, Is what I'm guessing is the case. And it it feels like something that had some real potential and it got got morphed. Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I wonder if the original story that this was based off of, the original script or, or whatever had the Japanese element. I mean, this was pushing the production a month after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. And then released all of, what, three months after the bombing of Pearl Mm -hmm. Harbor. Two months after it went into production. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I wonder if the Japanese plot was shoehorned in Mm -hmm. in order to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I, the, when you, the Japanese and the Nazi. Yeah, <laughs> one, one, one lone Nazi. Nazi. Yeah, I, I, that, I, it wouldn't, I don't know if that's the case or not, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was. And that, I think you have just said something pretty profound. This was, this was created, made, and released within a three-month period. And mm-hmm. that's 10 weeks. That's incredibly fast when you think about you know, setting and dialogue and actual filming and then cutting and editing and, and marketing. I mean, gosh, that this was a crazy fact. So in a way, it's actually pretty impressive for as fast as this came out that this movie makes any sense at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. But it is a movie, I think, you to understand it at all, you either have to listen to the second half of this podcast, which you're doing right now, or you have to have watched it twice. You, it makes no sense the first time you watch it. I tell you what, I just had a thought that would have worked a little bit better. There's the scene when Lugosi's confronting um, Saunders in the beginning, and he goes to actually attack him, and that, that's at the moment that Saunders recognizes who he is, and he screams out, Herr Doctor! And he does it sounding very German. And it's like, was he supposed to be... German was he a Nazi you know that had been placed but the story 
But then he tells his story later about back in his homeland, and the homeland is Japan. So. I literally thought he said her doctor. <laughs> I thought he said her doctor. Her doctor. Oh, well, that makes a little more sense now. Yeah. <laughs> I assume he recognized him from, yeah, being in Japan. I think you must be right that he was one of the the men in that group whose faces were changed. I think you must be right. Well, because he, he, he's the one that reveals everything in the end. He's the one that tells the flashback, yeah. and he talks about being in his homeland, and his homeland was Japan. So, yeah, he has to have originally been Japanese. But yeah, the way he says it, it's like... No, you know what's really funny is when he says, the first time he, that I watched it, and he said, uh, it began back in my homeland, I, and it started showing it. Now, I, I lived in Japan. I know what Japan looks like. It was Japan. It looked like Japan. What was really weird was when he said it, I also expected it to be like Germany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I had this weird little disconnect where it wasn't, I was expecting him to go back to like some old European country, and then it was Japan all of a sudden. And, and I think that was, like, there's, I, I guess they keep calling it the, the Jap killer in the news head, the headlines. I entirely missed that the first, I, both times I watched it, I missed that the first murder victim was found on the steps of the Japanese embassy. I missed that entirely. Mm-hmm. So I thought them flashing back to Japan had no, like, no reference at all in the movie up until that point. Uh, it, was, it was very confusing once again proving if you want to understand this movie you gotta watch it twice yep. gosh there's just there the things that are in there are slipped in there and you just i couldn't even figure out why they were calling them the jack murders because they had a knife but i didn't think it looked like a particularly any particular kind of knife actually yeah they kept claiming it was a japanese dagger yeah. but yeah it doesn't really it didn't scream japanese to me, to me. Yeah, either uh, also, just for the record, I'm, when I'm saying jab, I'm directly quoting. I'm not being yes. uh, lax there or anything, guys. Yeah. Um, this, is, <laughs> this is such a weird movie. It's it is very such odd. A, I feel like it would have made a lot more sense had the bad guys been Nazis. Because, the again, you had to have some major James Bond mysticism going on for the level of there's just i don't even like want to say <laughs> i feel like i shouldn't yeah. have to i i think you nailed it i think you're you're really close you're just kind of circling <clears throat> the uh the nail but i i think this story it makes sense if this story maybe was originally a, a nazi menace story that would make so story. much more sense wouldn't it yes and then the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor, and they went, oh, okay, okay, no, we, 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 we've got a, a, another bigger enemy that we need to shoehorn in. And that's suddenly it turns into a plastic surgery turned Japanese men into white Caucasians. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's a, man, I think part of, part of my struggle with it is science. <laughs> Um, just, I mean, modern science, you know, the science that we have now that you, you know, the entire film, the Japanese thing could have been filmed after the fact and because there's no mention of Japan or Japanese or 
yeah, hmm, except for the, the, the throwing the men on the Japanese embassy. But again, you don't see the, the actors' faces. You could have had any extra studio extra or something to fill the, film those inserts. Yeah. And then it's just a matter of uh, the spinning paper up yeah. onto the screen kind Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. I, <clears throat> man, I would be really interesting. I, yeah, I would be. And yeah, and then that last little. I mean, obviously, well, actually, I was going to say, obviously, they had Bella Lugosi there for the end part, but they didn't. He was only in the cell. They literally could have had that be an entire. No, they had him sitting around the table with oh, the, the Japanese oh, men. Yeah, that assistant. was him with the beard. That's right. He was the yeah. assistant. Okay. Which is really weird. That now the story makes even less sense. Why were they going to let the assistant go, but not the doctor? <laughs> yeah. Because oh. the assistant was Japanese. They could trust him. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not even going to say what I just. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And they do show. They do show all the uh, the the replaced guys in the end in Japan though too. So ah, uh, I don't know. I I really think don't have any evidence to it other than the, the fact that it would make this story work so much better mm-hmm. had this all been just Nazi menace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise. Again, I we're speculating, right? 100% speculating. Yeah. But it oh, wouldn't yeah. surprise me at all if that were the case. If they had been making some kind of spy drama and then said, you know what? No, we need to re, we need to re-angle this. So we're going to mm-hmm. just change a few things up here. And yeah, and who knows? Oh, this is one of those movies that's so hard to talk about because I think I certainly always want to find something about a movie that I really like. And this movie, there's so many problems with it and it's so confusing. And there are some moments of really genuinely, I think, good direction. I think specifically Joan Barkley's great in it. I think she's she's interesting. She's uh, interesting to look at. She's not your typical... You know, Hollywood femme fatale, I think she's, she seems intelligent. She's confusing because she screams a lot. But I guess if you're a screamer, you're a screamer. Uh, I'm not a screamer, but other people are. So that's, you know, that's fine. That's a personality thing. <laughs> but, but she's in- interesting. I feel like there's almost no point to having Dick in the story at all. You know, we shot it, it got up, it talked to us, it laughed, and then it died again. So maybe, <laughs> maybe it's time to... Uh, Oh, I, unless you have something else that you think you want to... Con- I got nothing. Yeah, no. I guess I guess it's ratings time. Yeah. We need a theme song there. Good dun, 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 dun. Ratings time. <laughs> uh, hmm. Well, go ahead. Oh, thanks. <laughs> out of five ovals. Chris- Christopher, out of five ovals, how would you rate Black Dragons? If it weren't for the clunky bits, this would rate a lot higher. I, I think this would be one of these, oh, wow, I can't believe they did that. It's 1942, and this is this really great espionage film, and there's this really, it's a, it's twisted and intrigued, and then in the end, and blah, blah, it'd be so cool. But the clunky bits are so, it just throws it so off track. Yeah, a two. I'd give it a two. Uh, I'm... I'm with you. I it's a it's a I I'm I'm tempted to give it a one, but there are some decent things to it on the second viewing. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> I give it a first star for the first, or one star for the first, one opal for the first viewing and two opals for the second viewing. Exactly. <laughs> that is exactly what this movie it, is. And I think if they had allowed you to connect with any of the characters specifically, you know, you like Alice, but you don't really connect with her. If they had, and, and if they had, that that was a huge problem for me. And then if it had made more sense in any in any point, anything to do with the doctor, everything to do with her uncle kind of makes no sense to me. Everything around him, like he's everything else kind of makes sense, but there, there's just not, there's nothing. It makes no sense to me. I, I, no matter how much I shake my hands in the air, which is what I'm doing right now, it just will not make sense to me. I cannot do more than two ovals. That might be generous. I, it's not the worst movie we've watched. Uh, but it is far from the best we've watched. No, it, it, there's so many little interesting little bits to this film. Just the, the story and direction and some parts of the film mm -hmm. just make it worth a little bit more and make it a, a little more interesting. Yeah. But do you also notice that once it's uh, discovered that Alice is an FBI agent, she almost has nothing else to yeah, say. She's not, she's not interesting. She's not part of the story anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Which is weird, because why was she there in the first place? Well, I mean, mm -hmm. they tell us why she was there, but she didn't do anything. Neither does Dick, though. How disappointing. <laughs> it's disappointing <laughs> it is. because there's potential. There was potential yes. for this story. Oh, so much potential. Mm -hmm. So much potential in this film. <laughs> this is a film I wish I could kind of get a hold of the script and rewrite oh, yeah. it. yeah. Yeah. And novelize it, novelize it and just turn it into something that I think would be just, you know, John Clancy level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and, and I think that's what it is. Is it's we want it to be something like that. We want it to. We expect it to be at a certain level. Film noir mm -hmm. at this point was well established. There are some excellent, excellent movies before this movie came out that have mind blowing twists and <clears throat> you know real nail bait, nail biting scenes and really you know complex characters and people that you care about early in the movie and great direction and interesting plots those things existed before this movie and it's just a disappointment that they didn't exist in this movie too well i think that's going to do it for black dragons from 1942 uh Thank you very much for listening. If you've watched the film, I hope you watched it twice yes. and enjoyed it. Or if you've listened, if you've watched it once and now listened to us, go back and watch it and again understand and see what it. You think. <laughs> uh, we will be back in a month with another film, and we'll see what we come up with. You know, there's so much more out there. We'll, uh, yeah, just hopefully it won't be quite as disappointing. <laughs> Not such a stinker next time. <laughs> uh, but thank you very much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.